today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie Now, Peter Burke, Minister of State for European Affairs and Defence. Good morning to you. Good morning, Claire. You're welcome to the programme. I want to start uh, with RTE. And do you believe the job of reforming the organisation, the broadcaster, is made easier or harder now by the departure of the chair, Shuni Rahali? Look, it's always going to be a significant challenge. I think the key thing is there's two reports now due out at the end of February in relation to the culture and governance of RTE. I think government needs to move quickly once they are out in making a decision because the critical thing is the structures and the mechanisms to ensure full transparency for public money need to be present in RTE Mm -hmm. and the government then will have the pathway to make a decision that will put public service broadcasting on a sustainable footing. There's no chair of the board though to read those reports. Well, I suspect the chair will be appointed rather quickly by government. Obviously, it is a challenge and there is no doubt with that. But we do need a very strong chair to be in situ to oversee these reforms because we do know in in the era of disinformation, the huge challenge we face Mm -hmm. as a country and a society that we need a strong chair in RTE. And we also need a strong RTE and wider public service broadcasting. And does the government think that RTE didn't have a strong chair last week? Well, I think obviously issues did come to light uh, over the last week. And there was issues before that in terms of the resignation of D Forbes, in terms of the director of strategy and the communication about uh, the uh, exit strategy that he had and whether there was or was not a, a payment in relation to it. Uh, but notwithstanding that, I think Shuni Rahalik is an exemplary public servant. She did do very well. She's not a lady that I've met or know, but I've no doubt in her integrity and honesty. But it's just unfortunate that there is a catalogue of events, obviously, that led to uh, the primetime interview on Thursday night. But as you know, Claire, when you walk into these interview studios and if you're in possession of information only hours earlier, you know, you have three options. You can cancel the interview. And if you do that, obviously, there will be, you know, questions asked. You can withhold, which is never a good thing to do in any public forum or you can operate full disclosure. And I think Minister Martin chose the latter. And if she hadn't done that, I think she'd be asking Mm. other very difficult questions will be asked of her in the coming days. But the criticism of of the media minister, Catherine Martin, is increasing. We see that in the papers today. Fiona Sheehan in The Independent says, by Minister Martin's logic, the RTE chair was keeping a secret that she'd already told her. Is that reasonable to say? I don't think so, because uh, the stat statutory line of communication between the government and RTE is a chair of the board. And that's who Minister Martin obviously deals with. And as I said, she's asked two occasions during the week and got false information. Uh, Now, not uh, obviously a mistake or whatever, but the information wasn't accurate. And when you have a minister have to go out and brief the public and are fielding questions from the media, you need to have accurate information in front of you. But it's unfortunate the way things transpired. But unfortunately, we have to pick up the pieces now and drive forward with the reforms, get those reports and put uh, public service broadcasting Mm -hmm. on a very strong, sustainable footholding for the future. And as a former member of the Public Accounts Committee, do you think it would make sense for the Comptroller and Auditor General to have oversight of RTE? I do. I don't see any reason why it shouldn't. I think that would give a clear line uh, of accountability in terms of the Oireachtas. But I would say in terms of, you know, media reports suggesting that, uh, you know, briefing the PSC is good enough to brief a department. I've been on PSC for four years. I do know in terms of it's very feverish in terms of the atmosphere when we dealt with Angarda Siakana, Templemore, Cervical Czech, 
NAM has so many pertinent issues, but the clear line of communication to brief uh, departments and ministers is not the Public Accounts Committee. The clear form is the statutory relationship. And that's why that's so important with a chair of RTE that that they brief the minister at all times. That's the mechanism for the line of communication, not not Oireachtas committees. Mm-hmm. And once we get past this, of course, future funding is where the focus will be. Do you personally favour a direct funding model or should a household payment of some description remain? Where do you stand on it? Well, I think if you look at the licence fee for 2023, the outturn is going to be over €130 million. Euro. That's quite significant. It's a strong income stream, you know, obviously independent of government. If you bring it all under uh, the exchequer funding, obviously in areas when we have, you know, budgetary constraint, if an economic shock hit the country, well then public service broadcasting, when it is needed most, is competing with health, education, housing. I don't think that's good for public service broadcasting. So I think we need a dual model to continue. You need, you know, the commercial uh, funding streams to come in. That should be monitored carefully. And also, you know, an independent income screen, stream like the licence fee, because I think you need independence. And I would just be fearful that if it was fully exchequer funding, that that could be compromised. So as you were with the licence fee and commercial running alongside? Well, I think we need to see the two reports, but I think we need an independent income source. That's just my personal opinion, because, you know, as I said, if it comes under exchequer funding in times when obviously the country comes under pressure, like we won't we won't be running surpluses forever, Claire. We will have difficult times. And we saw through COVID how important impartial information right down to the listener or the viewer was so critical, you know, in making people's minds up, be it for vaccinations or adhering to restrictions. You know, it is so important public service broadcasting. And I would just be fearful that as governments change uh, into the future, it's good to have it on an independent statutory footing and that the income stream can be guaranteed. OK, well, let's move on to your own brief now. We had Roland Oliphant from The Telegraph on the programme here on Friday and he was saying that the West is too complacent when it comes to Ukraine. He suggested we're underestimating what Russia is capable of and then what they might go on and do if they defeat Ukraine. If we don't do more to support Ukraine, and when I say we, I mean the EU and Ireland, are we empowering Vladimir Putin to win the long war? Absolutely. I think uh, Europe really has to stand up and be counted. It was very difficult, obviously, in the December European Council meeting when we didn't get that unanimity immediately for the €50 billion package to get in and run Ukraine's public services and assist them directly. Obviously, now there's... a conference call today in Paris, which the Taoiseach is going out to, that's going to be critical in terms of redoubling the EU efforts, because obviously more items come on the agenda. And with the Middle East and other issues, there's no doubt that the Ukrainian issue has come under pressure because people get used to it, unfortunately, uh, day on day, week on week. But we can never underestimate the huge challenge that the Ukrainian people are facing and the horror that they are facing. And from the children, 20,000 children that have been abducted and taken to Russia, there's horrific events that have happened out there. And we really do need to redouble our efforts. And Ireland will obviously be to the forefront of that in humanitarian Mm -hmm. issues and providing key components for their infrastructure, their grid, and all that very important uh, items of support. But we have evidence, don't we, of Ukraine fatigue. I mean, even the fact that this meeting is happening today, but also this slow, uncertain supply of weapons and money to Ukraine, both from the United States and from the EU. I think the United States obviously is a big funder as well and there's huge uncertainty in the United States and as well in Europe, as I said, Clara, it was difficult to get that agreement for the funding mechanism for Ukraine and there was a big challenge that 
you know, Hungary wanted to stitch in a review mechanism whereby it would have to go before the European Council every single year for a vote. And we obviously avoided that, which is very important. But I do think, you know, countries really need to have a hard look at themselves in Europe and really redouble their efforts in supporting Ukraine, because this is a big challenge. It is a war on continental Europe. It's on our doorstep. And absolutely, if Putin gets his way here, like he did in Georgia, like he did in Crimea, it'll just embolden him to go further. So we do really need to redouble our efforts. And hopefully in Paris today, we'll get renewed commitments right across Europe and beyond because the US and Canada are also being represented. Mm -hmm. Because what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is an increase in aggression from Vladimir Putin. In fact, that's one of the reasons why this meeting has been called by Emmanuel Macron uh, today. Do you think that that is clearly seen by other members of the EU that if there is slow delivery of weapons and support that Vladimir Putin gratefully takes that opportunity? Absolutely, because we've seen with Alexei Navalny, you know, that was horrific to see the way he was treated. Uh, We see Putin every time he's playing the long game. He's watching, you know, if there is some wilting in Europe or around the world. All this, you know, uncertainty. We're in a very uncertain geopolitical landscape at the moment. But I think the EU has been strong over the weekend getting together its 13th sanctions package. That's going to be very important. We have an Irishman, David O'Sullivan now, who is the special envoy, who is watching on circumvention of sanctions because we can have all these rules and regulations to prevent and put pressure on Russia. But we need to ensure that they are being implemented. And that's going to be key, the work of the special envoy, to ensure that Russia is paying a price Mm -hmm. as well. And as you know, you know, with China and other international actors, it is very difficult. It is a challenging game. And that's why Europe really needs to redouble its efforts. And so as well uh, with the US. Well, some of the people around the table might say that we're speaking out of both sides of our mouth because we're saying there's no Ukraine fatigue here. But at the same time, we're capping supports for Ukrainians who arrive here at just 90 days. Well, we've done way and above more than many of our counterparts. Most of them, in fact, we've taken, you know, in over 100,000 Ukrainian citizens and communities have welcomed them into their homes right across the country, almost 2% of our population. So we have provided a very strong response in challenging circumstances. We know in terms of the pressures that are on in relation to uh, international protection applicants coming into this country, also our housing crisis that we're trying to respond to with every mechanism available to the state. So we have been very exceptional. I would argue that communities have, you know, should be so proud of themselves, the way they brought Ukrainian families and citizens right into the heart of their families and really worked with them over the last uh, number of years. And we will continue to work with them. And obviously there are challenges on behalf of the state that uh, we do face, but, you know, our compassion is huge in this regard, I would mm-hmm. argue, Claire. Mightn't be down the line, though, because we know the Social Protection Minister has said in the Dáil earlier this month, in fact, that welfare for all Ukrainians, not just people who newly arrive here, could be cut from the higher level of over €200 Euro down to 38.80 a week. Well, it will depend on the temporary protection directive as well in terms of the European response, what way that moves and what way the war stands at that point in time uh, over the next number of months. We will have to obviously keep that in review. But we as a country, I think we're all very honest and open about this. You know, it can't go on forever. We have to really work, redouble our efforts, defeat Putin and try and get Ukrainian citizens uh, reunited with their families in many horrific circumstances that they have come from. But the state, I would argue, has done well more than many of the countries uh, in Europe. In fact, it'd be up at the very upper echelons of European member states in terms of mm. our response. So the temporary protection directive ends in March of 2025. Are you saying there won't be any change in policy or in social welfare rates for Ukrainians who newly arrive here before then? Well, I can't say that for definite. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not in cabinet here, but 
you know, I'd like to see Ukrainian citizens being, being support as much as they can and continue to get into our economy because that's where we need the most. You know, there are huge opportunities for Ukrainian citizens uh, to work in our economy. There are so many opportunities for them. We've seen so many of them, you know, come into our economy and work. And, you okay. know, right across our public services, we've taken in 14,500 students in school places. Like, we have responded massively as a society. But there are limitations into the future. I think we have okay. to be honest about that. All right. I just want to ask you briefly about the Middle East. We know that there were top secret negotiations at the weekend in Paris. Israel took part in those, the United States, Qatar and Egypt. This is on a potential deal for a ceasefire, also release of of hostages. Is there any sense of what has emerged or how hopeful would you be for a truce that perhaps leads to a negotiated settlement? What are you hearing? Well, I think there are differences on both sides still remaining, but obviously we have been to the very forefront using all our diplomatic muscle to get a ceasefire urgently. That's what we need. We see so many vulnerable people now in danger of starvation, famine, right in a very small corner of Rafa. And the idea, the reprehensible thoughts even that Israel could have in engaging in a military response in that small area is horrific. I think the international community really need to stand up to that. And that's why we're working as hard as we can through Europe and also wider afield. And Atonishta has been out in the Middle East with various different interlocutors trying to encourage and work with and attain that ceasefire. And Tisha could obviously be raising it today as well. It's such an important issue that there are so many vulnerable people there at the mercy of Israel. So we really have to keep working. And one thing the Irish government is always very clear on, the actions the Irish government takes has to have consequences for Israel. You know, taking certain decisions may not have consequences. We need to have a critical mass and we're working using all our diplomatic power to build coalitions and try and really make Israel pay for what it's doing. Okay, Peter Burke, Minister of State, thank you for joining us. Coming up next, Brian O'Connell visits a Cork Wildlife Sanctuary. Text 51551 today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.